playback on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Panadol. Panadol Extra Film Coated Tablets contain paracetamol. For pain relief, always read the label or leaflet. Good morning. Are you freezing? Chilly, isn't it? Yesterday, that cold snap landed. Predicted? Absolutely. But still, a little bit of a frosty shock. And now we're into the business of gritting of roads and taking teeny tiny steps on glassy ground. Slow, slow, slow on those roads. And with Mount Dillon in County Roscommon topping the table with minus 7 degrees, how is the rest of the country faring? Here's Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather with Clare yesterday. A lot of stations down below minus 6 degrees. Tulla in County Clare got down to minus 7.1 degrees. Uh, the Curra was also down to minus 6.9. And I see a station actually, Kilcolgi in County Cavan, at 9am reported minus 7.4 degrees. Now these are met air and climatic stations. So that might be the lowest so far, minus 7.4 degrees in Cavan. But really anywhere away from the coast has been well below freezing. And this cold spell, not going anywhere fast. It's going to last right through the weekend and into next week. And it now looks like it's going to last most of next week, Claire. So it does look like it's going to stay cold really up until the end of next week. Possibly milder air coming in next weekend, not this weekend, now next weekend. But that far out from weather model terms, it's subject to change as well. But we do look like we're stuck in this very cold, but mainly dry pattern for at least another seven days. Mm -hmm. You said mainly dry there and some will have seen snow overnight. What's the prediction on that front? Yes, and some more snow showers pushing into the northwest, uh, Donegal and Sligo, especially uh, today and through tonight and tomorrow morning. It will be largely dry with, with fog being the biggest issue, but there is a risk of more wintry showers then like last night where you get the wind direction changes and the, the showers in the Irish Sea get blown inshore. That that can happen and that could happen again through next week. So there is a risk of wintry showers again next week. But really those details are hard to pick up well in advance. Like even yesterday's showers, while there were forecasts, it's very hard to pinpoint where they will hit. So that's why some people in, in say, for example, North Dublin may have missed out while South Dublin saw showers. All right. And then you mentioned there earlier that the coldest temperatures will have been inland overnight. I know you're in the Midlands, Alan. What's the biggest issue you're seeing there with those very low temperatures? Well, there's still freezing fog here in Carlow at the moment and looking at the satellite image, there seems to be quite a few areas with fog in the Midlands and in the southeast and freezing fog is very treacherous and it also keeps temperatures very low. So the biggest issue from, from, from I suppose, a general point of view is the fact that temperatures aren't really going to get above freezing in some areas there. So that will, you know, freezing uh, pipes you'll have, obviously, like, for example, I went out this morning, the dog bowls, the water completely frozen over. Um, so, you know, there's not going to be much thaw really and we're going to see a lot more freezing fog over the weekend on Sunday especially Saturday night Sunday it could stay all day which will keep areas in a nice day which where it won't get above zero degrees Brr. and we would say turn over but unfortunately this is coming up oh hideous and on drive time, permission, perhaps, from the RCSI's Dr Yolanda Burke to ditch the alarm clock. So, so is the evidence is that it's bad or how, do you, how best to use an alarm clock? Well, I think that we are used to using alarm clock because of the societal pressure. We have to get up 
to go to work and then we also would love to spend some time with our friends or have some time out and as a result we are staying up late and um, sometimes we just don't get enough sleep during the week mm. during the work days and as a result we need an alarm clock to wake us up to get us up we obviously accumulate a lot of sleep debt that we are trying to catch up on during the weekend and we just get ourselves stuck in this vicious cycle. So that is a real thing, is it, Jolanta, sleep debt? Because I, I wasn't sure, you know, like if you just don't get sleep in a particular night, do you, does your body yeah. actually really need to catch up then? Or if, if you're not getting sleep over, over the course, the sleep that you need over the course of a couple of days, like is that a real thing at the weekend? You yeah, will want to sleep absolutely. more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. So what happens is that you don't necessarily need to sleep exactly the number of hours that you've missed out on. But what happens during the weekend is you actually get into very, very deep sleep and you do sleep a little bit longer but but not necessarily exactly the, the same amount of hours your body needs sleep to recover if you're not giving it time to recover uh, it has to do it at some point dr yolanta burke on sleep debt and you wouldn't want to get into debt so eyes closed but ears open because something beautiful is on the way poetry Often only trotted out for state occasions, visiting yangs and pandemics, we do not always appreciate the work involved. On the poetry programme, Olivia O'Leary spoke to Judy O'Kane, Elizabeth Oxley and Owen Totten, three of the recipients of the Ireland Chair of Poetry Student Awards. And she asked them about their ratio of submissions to publication. How many poems, Owen, say, would you have submitted to journals and whatever over the last year or two? I think it could amount into the several hundreds. Good Lord, that many. I think it's a job. Yeah. You need to submit them out regularly. So just in ratio terms, and you are, after all, a scientist, what's the ratio of poems that get accepted in terms of what you submit? I don't want to, like, put my ratio out in case other people have a better (laughs) ratio, but... I would say it's somewhere between 1 in 10 and 1 in 20. That's pretty good, though. Yeah. It's okay. It's a good hit count. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Judy? I'm just interested. I'm really tenacious, so I find if someone doesn't want it, someone else might want it. So um, I I do like to recycle (laughs) until it finds a home somewhere, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. But But sometimes it can be a really long process. It's a balance between not submitting stuff too early and not having a drawer full of stuff that nobody's going to bang on your door and ask to see. Yeah. What about you, Elizabeth? How often, of the ones that you send in, how many get accepted? I would say along the lines, I believe, of what Owen said, perhaps one in ten. I'm quite inspired right now by Owen's diligence at submitting. and I... Yeah, it's admirable. Yeah. And here is a poem from Owen Totten, which draws on phrases from the HSE website on fainting. Faint. If you are with someone who has fainted, try to keep calm. Of all things, during dinner, I bite my cheek right at the moment it is on the tip of my tongue to ask you to come live with me and be my person. If you can, lay them on their back and raise their legs. I kneel beneath you on a reseda green towel. You run your hands through my hair and sit on the lib of the bathtub. The sun streams through the frosted glass of the window. The person who has fainted should wake up within 20 seconds. One minute you are stepping out of your morning shower. The next you are holding me from behind on the kitchen floor, confettied with green peas and pancetta. You tell me you've got me. 
You caught me when I slumped, taking our weight in a half space between falling and lowering one more time. Beautiful, from the poetry programme. Yesterday, this happened. Afternoon all, welcome along to the programme on this Friday, the 9th of December. I promised a little fogra, a little notice. And I've been on the radio here now for 146 years and with the Ronan Collins show at lunchtime for I don't know how many years. But I wanted you to know that uh, we'll enjoy all the Christmas music for the next couple of weeks, but I will be doing the final Ronan Collins lunchtime show on RTE Radio 1 on Friday, the 23rd of December. Asher, that's two weeks away. We've loads of time. So Friday, the 23rd of December... I'll be looking for my car keys and a way out. That was just after 12, but by 1.45, Ronan had hopped studios and joined Joe for something of a tribute show. And this is how it had all started. Now, our next man who takes over the, I know, the mid-afternoon slot, Mr Ronan Collins. Thank you, Ronan. That's our Ronan. Ronan indeed has... Uh, has broadcast before. Tell me what you're doing on the show. Uh, basically everything. The, the show is subtitled The Music Show That Talks To You. But hopefully people will talk to us and we want to know about whatever's happening in their area. Anything peculiar, especially oddball. Oddball. It's a, because I'm that little that way myself. Fine, yes. So a, a different side to the music business now. Okay. And one I hope people will enjoy as much as I will. Hope so too. That's Thanks, Ronan Brandon. Collins. 2.30 to 5 o'clock every day. Who's next? And among the many callers who wanted to mark the occasion, Maxie. Very, very big day for you. And I'm glad that you're spreading your talents because you have many beautiful <laughs> singing voice, great, great musician. But I think the word that comes to mind mostly is your generosity. Yeah. Because I've known Roan and Joe since uh, we worked with the same management when he was with Dickie and I was with Maxie, Dick and Twink. Yeah. And always he'd come over and say, you all right. And if I had any questions, he would answer them because it was a male-dominated industry. Of course. Yeah. And then when I came into RTE to 2FM as the first jockette, as I call it, female DJ, <laughs> Ronnie came over and he said, you all right? And I said, well, I, I'm not really, I'm not quite sure what the whole job entailed. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, he talked yeah. to me about get, gathering the records, explained about logging, and all of the background stuff. And Ronan, you took so much time. I, I was always so grateful for that. And of course, no birthday, particularly roundy ones, are complete without a midday mention. I remember one time of being up <laughs> in the office when your programme was on and the phone was constantly ringing with, the, with the, you know, the listeners and one guy said, Max, is there any chance you could get him to play um, a, a song for me for my birthday? So I phoned down to you, to the internal phone, and I said, there's a lovely gentleman on the phone here, Ronan, and he said it's not his birthday until you say it is. And for the show's many, many listeners, it is both the music and the companionship that will be missed. Thank you so much for all the great music, Ronan, that you've provided down through the years. Uh, our children grew up listening to you, and we all had great crack down through the years with text, Ronan, when he would receive the text and read out the children's names. And then my wife and I, we decided to have another child and the children were all of an age where we all voted. We were sitting, I was having my morning cup of tea and the wife and the three children, we said, let's put it to a vote. And it was unanimous. We we called our last child Ronan, uh, uh, after Ronan Collins, believe it or not. I am just making this call in gratitude and also to say congratulations. I just really appreciate it. 
his music every day. Actually, I want to just mark lockdown with him. Yeah. Because um, I just never left the floor from 12 to 1. And <laughs> I just love, yeah. love his music. Your researcher rang me and I was like crying. And I, she said, will you come? I said, I won't be able. I said, I can't stop crying. This is my, I'm like Ronan. I retired <laughs> last year uh, from nursing. And the day I retired, I, the message came, the, 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 the request came in from my sisters and my family and my uh, daughters. And he, he's so clever the way he does his requests. He put them all together. And and, and in, then one of my daughters said, oh, she loves Susie Quattron uh, stumbling in. And, of course, he got that in as well. And, like, I remember he used to bring me to work uh, in, yeah. in, them, in them days. And even when I'd be going down the country to Tipperary, I'd say, right, I'm going around half 11, quarter to 12, so that I'll hear the whole of Ronan for the whole hour, and that'll bring me down as far as beyond Port Leash, and I'll be nearly home, Brilliant. So because I'd have Ronan uh, to bring me that journey. Just some of the tributes to Ronan Collins, as heard on yesterday's Live Line. But as he has said himself, not retiring, so the journey continues. Back in a bit. Welcome back. <laughs> Woo! Concertina, courtesy of Cormac Begley. The dancing, Michael Keegan Dolan from his production Mom, all heard on Lyric with Sean Rocks on Sunday. The man does get around. And if you found yourself toe-tapping, you are not alone. Just don't forget to breathe. Cormac does this at the beginning of the piece, which is he kind of, he blows out the, the concertina. And then in the middle we get that. And we both, as we were sitting here listening, we both actually went, that's amazing. When he just plays the instrument, the bellows in and out. Breath. Yeah, breath yeah. is hugely important, and I'm guessing that breath is part of dancing as much as it is part of the music. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 fundamental to dancing and to music, and I and I, and I guess to life, you know, because when you stop breathing, you stop living. Um, and I, and I have a, I have a funny relationship with breathing because I was I was I was I, I mean I, I'm asthmatic. Um, and, you know, f- when I was quite young, I, I spent a few t- trips in the ambulance to Temple Street. I used to get these kind of terrible asthma attacks. So I went to, um, I, I, I suppose, you know, the, the, the cure for asthma, the first cure, they give you inhalers and all this stuff. So eventually I got tired of that and started practicing um looking for another way to mm. cure my asthma. And I was fortunate to meet this amazing yoga teacher and kind of martial artist called John Evans, who was also a kind of a literary scholar. So there was lots of stuff we could talk about. And he started to teach me how to breathe. And um, over years of practicing with him and working with him, I realized then that he had actually taught me how to dance. Up until that point, I'd been learning how to dance in the more traditional ways. I'd been to ballet school, been to contemporary dance teachers all over the world looking for a way to dance and also looking for a way to cure my asthma or to breathe. And in the end, I found the answer in the same place. I found how to, found out how to breathe and I found out how to dance. Dancer Michael Keegan Dolan with Sean. And if that is of Ireland, so too is this. Morning, 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 morning,
We're uh, uh, we're we're from uh, uh, some, somewhere Rathgar. around. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Rathgar, Monkstown, you know okay. that area. <laughs> yeah, I do a little bit. That. All over there, very oh, large so houses. Yeah, 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 yeah. So well off, well healed. That's all you need to know. So that's it. And and what what are you doing today? I'm actually buying um clothes for my kids. Lewin, Cooin, Ruin, and Shewin. And um yeah, they're one of them's ten, the other one's doing his leaving cert. Yeah. So he's a bit anxious, Ryan, about that. But I'm always saying to him, I'm always saying, Ruben, as long as you're happy and healthy and you get enough points to do medicine in Trinity, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 I totally yeah, agree, yeah. 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 I'm actually doing the Christmas swim the, uh, this year. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are you the, into the, the whole season? The wild sun thing is amazing. Oh, my God, it's totally changed my life. Has it, Trinity really? and myself and my kids are going. Fonia, Fionn and Fach. And we'll just get in. But the swimming has totally changed my life. I don't know if you know, if you do it, Ryan. But no, no, but I mean, when, when my did hair, you... my hair, my hair, my sleep, my energy, everything. Everything's out. And when did you take this up? Uh, yesterday. Oh, very good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a life-changing thing. I'm going to do something different for the dinner this year. On, just to let the listeners know if they're interested, I'm doing a chicken in a turkey. Yeah. I'm actually doing a chicken in a turkey and a duck. Well, I'm doing a chicken and a turkey and a duck in a pheasant. Are you? I'm yeah, doing yeah, a chicken yeah, and a turkey yeah, and a duck yeah, yeah, in a yeah, yeah, pheasant yeah. wrapped in pancetta with a drizzle of apricot I'm jus. I'm cranberry around it as well in an Are apple. Are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, and your friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. Comedy duo Dirt Birds Crashing Wines will be on Wednesday. Oh, Ireland. And this week marked the centenary of the creation of the Irish Free State. But even now, 100 years on, we can't even agree on the date. Here's Miles Dungan on the History Show putting this question to DCU's Dr Colm Kenny. Now, we're strange in this country. We don't have an Independence Day. We don't really know Mm. when the state (laughs) begins. Is it the 6th of uh, December 1921 when the Anglo-Irish Treaty is signed? Is it exactly a year later when the Irish Free State comes into existence? Is it uh, January of 1922 when the Dáil votes to accept the treaty? Um, Do we know, Colm, when did the Civil War begin? Does the Civil War begin with the attack by the Free State forces on the garrison in the forecourts? Or has it already begun? Because there's lots of stuff going on. There's there's problems in Donegal, there's problems in Kilkenny, there's shooting, there's killings. When does it begin? Well, I think uh, that's a very good question, actually. And I, I, I don't think you can realistically say that it begins at the specific moment when the state decides to take back the four courts. If you want to call it an attack, um, it, it was an attempt to take back the courts that had been seized at gunpoint with shots being fired sometime earlier. And by the same token, I think the McCready assassination can be... The Wilson assassination. Wilson, I mean, uh, can be exaggerated as as the starting point. There was an inevitability. Once people took up arms against the state, against the majority of the people, there was an inevitability that the government would have to respond. And as early as February, there had been actually a a likelihood that the state was going to attack. And that was when in Limerick, Captain Bill Stapleton of the National Army was shot. There were actions in Limerick, in, in Kilkenny, there'd been a two-day gun battle. There was constant pressure being put on the new state and a series of buildings being occupied. And sooner or later, if you were being serious about governing your own country, whether or not the British were sending you messages urging you to do it, you simply had to bite the bullet. Mm. Uh, literally, you had to take take it in your teeth and go after the people who were trying to overthrow the state. So it was going to happen anyway. And I think the civil war started essentially in the spring of 1922. And that's my point in a bitter winter. 
And of course, the creation of the state and the fighting all took place against the backdrop of two votes. The treaty was passed by the Dáil in January 1922, 64 to 57 votes, and then June saw a general election. But there was another significant player exerting influence. Here's Dr Brian Hanley of Trinity College. Britain wanted the vote to go, yes, for the treaty, and they made it clear that if it didn't, this would mean a renewal of war. I mean, we... There were still British troops in the 26 counties who were ready to move at any time. And this was this put huge pressure, I think, on all the political players, but also on the electorate. I mean, if you can think of the circumstances today where a great power next to a smaller power tells them that you're going to have an election. We want it to go one way. If it doesn't, we may intervene. You can imagine, Very few people in the world would say that that's a democratic choice. So there were huge pressures both on the pro and anti-treaty side. And I think to see it just simply as yes or no to democracy, removes a lot of the complications. Some of the Democrats, in inverted commas, on the pro-treaty side, were secretly arming and preparing for an offensive in Northern Ireland. Michael Collins was attempting to come up with a constitution which would bring both factions together again. The British were adamant that that couldn't happen. The British again are saying, we can't have a compromise on symbolism. All these things like the oath have to stay there. This has to be clear to the empire that we're not letting you go. So the, the biggest gun, really, in this... In, in the military sense, was held by Britain. And Britain was still capable of intervening. It was still the preeminent military and, and global power so in you, the world. So, uh, so I'm saying that when Liam Mellows, for example, says this is not the will of the people, it's the fear of the people, he had a point. Now, that's not to say that there aren't people who would have ignored the vote on the anti-treaty side, but the anti-treaty side were not a monolith. Most of them did not want war either. So I think there are a lot of people, Labour as well, are ambivalent about the treaty. They don't actually think the treaty is great. They don't think it's what they're looking for. But they say, if we're elected, we will enter Leinster House. But if we know anything about our country's history, it is the division and rancour this civil war caused in families and communities. A war which escalated as the months went by. Here is Liz Gillis, historian in residence at South Dublin County Council. What is the trigger for the bitterness, or at least the the events that cause the legacy of of bitterness from August onwards? Well, I suppose it starts really with Harry Boland's death in in Scarry's shot while he's being arrested. But Collins's death is a real trigger for what we're going to see over the coming months, which is what can only be described as as the the existence of murder gangs operating very much in Dublin, but also you do have it around the country. You have that initial phase of the Civil War, but then the Anstreet IRA revert to the tactics that were so successful, (coughs) and they do have successes. You know, you've got big names like Tom Kyo was killed in September, horrifically killed. You've got all these these big names on the pro-treaty side, and, you know, it's understandable that people would want revenge, but you literally have people taking the law into their own hands, which afterwards is covered up by the authorities, by the government. You know, there's no inquest allowed to be held in in certain cases. And if juries do find, you know, a verdict of willful murder, it's generally against persons unknown. And that continues beyond the end of the Civil War. And you think it can't get any worse when you see events like the Red Count in October, where three young lads, one 16 years of age, they're taken <coughs> from the streets in Rumcondra and then their bodies are dumped out in South County Dublin. You think this cannot get any worse. But then you've got events like Ballyseedy down in uh, Kerry in March and then it continues with Bobby Bonfield and then the horrific incident that is the kidnapping and murder of Nola Mass. Mm. When does the war ends? From the History Show. 
And while historians might be more than happy to mark this centenary, for John on Liveline, it was the general quiet around this event that caused him to phone in. Where's the bunting, the parade? Why aren't we celebrating this? I, I, I don't know, but you, come here, come here. Should we finish? Cartman was on there, give you out about the Brazilians dancing in jig, and he was yeah. saying, oh, they shouldn't be doing this. Jig is almighty. So we, we, should, we, we should be able to celebrate. We won a county final last Sunday in Cock, and we celebrated. And if the other crowd had won that celebrating, we danced and we jumped and we kissed and we hugged and we fell on the ground. And I mean, like, m- maybe we are a bit self deprecating that we don't want to be blowing our own trumpets. Because obviously, mm. when you blow your own trumpet, if you're setting yourself up, you're setting yourself up for a fall, somebody will come along and say, did you hear your men saying such a thing? Because we're great people. We, we would be, uh, like, we would have a good history, though, in fairness, of the grudgery, of the history, you know, the Valley of the Spring King, okay. where, where, who, who does the he Chris. think he is? I knew okay. Joe his grandfather when he in the second seat in his pants, and Sir John Arnold's grandfather got help us, he was only a uh, two-hapenny farmer. You know, there is, there is, um, maybe that's because we're so small as a country, and everybody knows everybody else, so everybody can find out something about Everybody. But on balance, like, this is a great day for the country. The sun is shining here in Cockpit, fast this morning, but the sun is shining now, and I think it's a great day. And I, just, and I feel, I feel, I, I don't feel exhilarated, but I just feel happy that we should okay. be marking this in, in a fair, in some kind of a fair way on this particular day, one hundred years after it happened oh. a century ago. Well, as it happened, John, as you can hear, away with words. And Joe, he had the choir on standby. Can you describe what you're seeing, Dan, in this beautiful country? I can describe what I'm seeing, Joe. We lit the fire this morning because it was frosty last night. So there's smoke coming out of the two-storey house that my great-grandfather built in 1875 and the smoke is wasking up into a blue sky and there's fir trees around it. In the distance I can see Crunavan where there was a convent in the 1400s and across from me is Bell and Willing where there's a man who keeps greyhounds and there's an old garage. The village of Bartholomew, which is called Tubber Fartalon, which is the well of St. Bartholomew, is about half a mile the distance. Behind me is Hightown. The other side of me is Belladere. It's a crisp December day. Just behind me here, as I'm standing in the air, is a rookery, and the crows are cawing away. We have the cows are in for the winter. We were just cleaning out the shed there this morning. We still have calves. It's a scenic, I suppose, tranquil place. Cold, it's cold, it's cold, mm-hmm. but it's a lovely place. My people, we're only blow-ins here, Joe. We're only blow-ins into this particular farm. We're only here since 1872, so wow. we wouldn't be regarded as of, of the parish yet. We're kind of blow-ins, but we're here a good bit. And, like, the animal name is probably in English or not name as you could find, but we've kind of integrated fairly well now after a couple of hundred years into the parish, so that's, that's the reason I just made the call today, because I just I'm, I'm, I just feel that you know, we, we, we were, like I said initially we were much more to celebrate and to be happy about than to be downtrodden about and to be upset about and to be sour about, so that's why I think the 6th of December hopefully the 6th of December next year we might get a piece of legislation passed by some government, I, I don't call it a national holiday, but there should be certainly there should be something happening in the schools today there be something happening that the state we live in now, as imperfect as it is, and I'm not saying it's perfect, the state we live in now, you and I and all the rest of the five million of us, was came into being 100 years ago on this day, and that's something to celebrate. And I'm not covering up to the problems we have, and we have problems, and it'll take us years to solve them. But I mean, when you look at the, the Irish diaspora all over the world, they're well respected, they're well thought of, they're happy people. Ireland is looked on very, and I'm not talking about a kind of a shamrock leprechaun or anything, even though I believe in leprechauns and I believe in fairies, personally myself, but I'm not looking at it through those rose tinted glasses. But we have it just, we wear more to be positive about than to be negative about after the century we've been through.
back in a bit. Welcome back. In Germany, a right-wing plot to storm the parliament. Ah, no. But yes, it did happen. Here's Anya on Morning Ireland. It sounds like a plot from a thriller. A group of far-right and ex-military figures, including an aristocrat called Heinrich XIII, accused of plotting to overthrow the German government by storming the Reichstag. Extraordinary. But with a sobering view, here's Boyan Panchevsky, Germany correspondent with the Wall Street Journal. Well, I tell you, the German police and the security agencies are the ones that are taking this most seriously. As you said, there was a bit of a hilarity in, in, in the public banter about about this group of people. Uh, one of them, as you said, is, a, is an aging aristocrat. He's a prince, age 71. Um, the other one is a, is a judge, former lawmaker. Another one is a chef. Um, but however, they also do have former members of the special forces of Germany, including senior officers and even one uh, active officer, a sergeant uh, with uh, with the special command of, of the German armed forces. So authorities are taking this extremely seriously. They are basically saying these are people who had military training, who had a sort of an organizational structure who had weapons, although we don't know how many weapons and what types of weapons yet. And they had uh, the motive and the determination to to pull out of a kind of a terrorist act. Uh, specifically, they were planning or at least discussing storming the German parliament and kind of arresting uh, the legislators and perhaps even executing some of the politicians in there. So in a nutshell, that was their plan, and it's obviously extremely serious. Now, the question obviously lingers whether they had the capability to even remotely sort of manage doing something like that, and the investigation will will now show that. And this was a group of people drawing on all kinds of ideologies. They don't support the post-war German constitution, and there's a question of some kind of QAnon influence, is that right? Oh, yes, that's that's one of the weirdest thing about this story. And essentially, the prosecutor said yesterday that they were heavily influenced and inspired by the QAnon kind of conspiracy movement. He, he called it ideology. It's very difficult to pin it down. It's a bunch of people who connect online and they have really outlandish beliefs. And they are also influenced or members of something called the Reichsbürger movement, which translates as the citizens of the Reich. And they call themselves that because they don't really recognize the German state after the collapse of the Reich in the First World War. So they basically want to reinstate a kind of a monarchy, an empire, a kingdom, depending on what uh, on the individuals and what they believe. They don't recognize the institutions of the state. So some of them... Uh, refuse to pay parking tickets and stuff like that, or even taxes. Some of them print their own passports. Some of them print their own money even, uh, which is extremely bizarre, obviously. And now while that sounds all weird, a lot of them, or at least several of them, have been arrested for for shooting at police officers. One of them even managed to kill a police officer uh, seven years ago. So it's, it's a very kind of weird ramshackle movement which does include people who are ready and have committed violence. Um, according to the security agencies, there are over 2,000 of these Reichsbürger who are violent or, or capable of committing violence against authorities. Frightening stuff. Boyan Panchevsky of the Wall Street Journal. 
and staying with Morning Ireland, albeit with a significantly frothier story. Will we find out who made who cry in the row over the flower girls? Yep, the new Harry and Meghan documentary series on Netflix, covered by all kinds of programmes. Here's Kate Williams, royal commentator, with a perhaps less than impressed Anya. I've seen one quote from Meghan Markle, Kate, talking about uh, their engagement interview as an orchestrated reality show. These programmes, isn't that what they are? Well, this programme, really, I've watched the first episode and quite a bit of the second and first. They really are talking about the press intrusion into the life of Meghan and Harry. They're very explicit about the express intrusion into the life of Princess Diana, of Harry as a child, of Meghan uh, through the engagement interview. So they really are very much talking about what they've Talk, you know, how how much suffering there is, the pain and suffering of women marrying to the royal family. They say this is our truth, this is our story, and there are some, I think, some pretty big allegations here about uh, press intrusion in the lives of royal family, particularly children and women. Mhm, mhm. And giving Anya a run for her money in the cynicism stakes, Lee's hand, who joined Claire for her review. It, this is a very Instagram documentary. It's all full of beautiful shots and. You know, for a couple that love their privacy, they opened up a lot of their social media. They showed the sort of all their, their first interactions on social media and so on. So like the private messages so between So private the two messages between the two of them, literally the first time when they were setting up dates and things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's very much, I think, pitched towards even the Insta generation. I mean, so this is really what is pitched at. What doesn't make sense to me, she has always said, I didn't Google him. But if, you met, if she met him on social media, she must have known who he was. Well, again, she claims in this that she, you know, when, you know, she wasn't sure, she, you know, she heard that Prince has uh, wanted to meet her and she was like, who's this? And, you know, you, you know, this is a theme. New that's phone, who this? New phone, who this? Exactly. <laughs> Spectacularly so. And, you know, you get, this is very much a theme that, you know, she didn't know what she was getting into. She didn't really know who he was. Um, you know, she she was unprepared for, for what, you know, what unfolded, um, which, I understand to some extent because I don't think anybody could have any idea what you're letting yourself in for unless once, you know, until you're on the inside. But really, having seen the Diana saga unfold over decades, nobody is under any illusion that if you marry into that family or, you know, you're literally Mm -hmm. abrogating any sense of privacy or, you know, you're really you're joining a firm, not a family. So there... But perhaps the award for eyebrow most raised has to go to the Darcy for this quip. But first, the clip. One of the first scenes we see is is Harry in the airport leaving the UK. Um, uh, and this is what he says. Um, hi, so we're here on uh, Wednesday. Wednesday, the something of March. Um, we've just finished our two weeks our final push, our last stint of royal engagements. It's really hard to look back on it now and go, what on earth happened? Like, how did we end up here? With the piano player beside me. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're a bad man. But that takes us nicely and neatly to the self-confessed Queen of Christmas. Separate those M&Ms. Here she comes.
from Mariah Carey, the sound of cha-ching, lots of cha-ching. Here's Adam McGuire of the Business Desk with Claire. Apparently somewhere in the region of $2.6 million a year, that song is. That's based on it. Apparently they're in $60 million in royalties by 2017. It came out in 94. So you do the maths there, it's $2.6 million a year. And again, not all going to Mariah Carey. There's a co-writer, Walter Anna Fanasif, uh, the record label, the producer, but still a huge amount of money for one song. And, and Mariah Carey has spun it into a whole little business of its own. Uh, she has, she's been done variety style uh, TV shows on, on Apple TV in the last few years. She has a Christmas book. Her website, if you go into it now, is full of festive merchandise. You can get a $30 scented candle. You can get $140 Christmas pyjamas if you want to. So it, it's no wonder then she goes onto social media on the 1st of November, the day after Halloween, to declare that Christmas has started. And basically she's saying, start listening to my song right now. However, not all of Mariah's Christmas wishes have come true. Mariah Carey lost a bid to trademark the title Queen of Christmas earlier this uh, earlier last month. So uh, she, two other singers objected to that. So she's not officially the Queen of Christmas. She's the unofficial. Unofficial Queen of Christmas. Queen of, Queen of Christmas. Christmas. I mean, and staying with Claire, in the course of a piece on the office Christmas party, Brian O'Connell met a man who might be in contention for the Grinch crown. When I was six years old, I begged my mother not to send me to a Christmas party where Santa was giving out toys party games and presents and so I, I suppose I'm the I'm, well I'm not the original Grinch there you go <laughs> but <laughs> let's just put it this way I suppose I'm not really don't really think of myself and others would agree that I'm not really a people person I now, pity the colleague who's going to be seated beside you with the well, they're going to be lucky because there's going to be an empty seat and they'll be able to put their handbag there or their, their, their bottle of champagne you won't or, be there well it's tradition that I don't attend these things they wow. don't expect Anybody who hears this will know exactly who I am and say, oh, isn't that just typical? Could he you not know, just smiled once on the radio and cheered everybody up? Like, it's once a year. It's not a, it's not a big ask. You say that now, but, I mean, you know, you haven't heard the speeches. He might have a point. But if you do go to the office Christmas party clutching your paper cup of fizz, what to talk about? Well, this texter into Ryan had a top tip. Uh, Frank here, with regard to small talk, I heard this suggestion, haven't tried it yet, but you should try the Ford technique. That's F-O-R-D. The acronym stands for Family, Occupation, Recreation, Dreams. And this is meant to steer you to ask the right questions, which will help you build trust and make more meaningful connections. Ford, that's not bad. Or you could regale them with some fun facts, become your own human Christmas cracker, which may delight or just annoy. With Ray, the QI elves were back. Can dogs tell time? Well, we think that uh, Smiley Riley might be able to tell the time um, to a certain extent. Um, The reason being that when you go away for the day and you come back, people will find that the dog is kind of waiting for them when they get back. Mm. Uh, And what we think is that is because the amount of your smell in the house kind of dissipates as the day goes on. And by the time it knows that you're coming, it's because the level of smell has come to a certain level. And we kind of know that because they did an experiment, BBC Two's Inside the Animal Mind did an experiment where they put loads of sweaty shirts all over the house. And when they did that, the dog didn't know when the person was going to come home. So they think that kind of hid the smell of the person. Ingenious experiment. Ingenious. Incredible. All about the nose, eh? Very interesting. But if you do see those eyes wandering, don't take another drink, lest this happen. 
What are hiccups for, James? Why do we hiccup? Oh, well, the thing is, we don't really know why we hiccup. Um, certainly, we know what is happening in our body. Um, you have a diaphragm, uh, and what is happening is that is clenching together. The muscles are clenching, and you don't really want it to, um, but that sucks air into the lungs. But at the same time, your epiglottis, which is kind of a flap at the top of your um, trachea, mm-hmm. that is closing. And so you've got it trying to suck air in one way, but kind of blocking the air in the other way, and you just kind of make this hick sound in the process. You mean this? And there we will leave it. Perhaps not an edifying end to the programme, but tis the season. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.